All right. How's everybody doing today? Open up your Bibles to Hosea chapter 10. (laughs) Hosea chapter 10, and we'll begin with a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon it. Lord, as your word goes out, trust that it will not return void, that it will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it, that you would bring about a great work in our hearts. There's no accident that we're here, and since we're here, you do desire to move in our midst, to change our lives, Lord, to redirect us on the course that you set for us. So Lord, I I praise you, we trust you in this moment, and expect you to do great things in our midst. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen? Amen. All right. Sam, you out of here? I'll see you. Oh, man. You're going to have to hear some of this. I was hoping I can get away with blasphemy. Um, <laughs> uh, Hosea chapter 10. We're going <laughs> we're gonna to be in one verse this morning. Uh, we're going to see how far we can get in that one verse, and then we'll see what happens next week. Uh, because... I haven't planned out that message yet. We'll see if we can spin off of this week. Maybe we'll do the next verse in the chapter. I don't know. Cover another verse. Uh, but we'll see what, what we have to talk about then. Hosea, if you're familiar with the book of Hosea, you know that, uh, uh, that, that Hosea was a man with a very difficult calling, right? He was a man that was called, uh, by God to marry a woman. God said, I want you to take this woman and I want you to make her your wife. And ordinarily, that would be a great calling for any man, right? And, you know, God says, I want you to marry a woman. And if I were in Hosea's situation, I would think, well, you know, I'm a prophet. You know, God, as he, I'm sure he has someone very special in store for me as his prophet. He's going to give me this beautiful, this glorious, this precious woman. And God says, her name is Gomer. And already I'm, I'm, I'm not loving what's happening. I can't, it's hard to me. It's hard for me to imagine a wonderful Gomer, you know, and I don't know if I've offended any of you if you named your daughters Gomer. I don't know why anyone would do that. But God said, I want you to marry this woman, and I I want you to love this woman with all of your might, but I want you to know that she will be unfaithful to you, that she's going to run around with other men, and that she's going to break your heart, and you need to let her go. God said, but I want you to keep on loving her. And I want you to take her back when she repents. And this, Hosea, will be your ministry to Israel. You will live out your life as a picture of God's love to a nation that runs around behind his back. To a nation that rejects him, who's constantly abandoning him, who's leaving him for other things. God says, I love those people. And they're my children, and I want them back, and I desperately desire to embrace them and be with them. And and it's this wonderful little book, the the first book in the portion of your Bible uh, given over to the minor prophets that I think just captures the heart of God towards his children, Israel, and towards his adopted children, the church, us here today, uh, more than any other book does in the Old Testament. Hosea did just that. He 
loved this woman with all of his might. And he took her back. And he lived to pen this book. And in the 10th chapter and in the 12th verse, we have before us the text that we'll study this morning. And I've broken it up into three parts uh, for our consideration this morning. These will be the three points for the message this morning. I was trying to divide a message into three points. My, the guy that uh, ran the Bible college in Germany, the guy that I sat under, David Guzik, said, not every message has three points, but every good message does. So I finished the message, and then at about midnight, I went back and found a way to add three points to it. So hopefully it'll make it easier for all of us to remember. The first point, there's a timeless principle. So if you're taking notes, your first point will be a timeless principle. Your second point will be there's a proven plan. And your third point will be there's an eternal promise. We'll begin in the 12th verse, and we'll end in the 12th verse. And it says, Sow for yourselves righteousness, reap in mercy, break up your fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he comes and rains righteousness on you. And I discovered this verse two summers ago, and I spent that the entirety of that summer mulling over this verse. Uh, and, and, and Corinne gave me, uh, you know, boo, my wife, she gave me that word mulling over because I was talking to her about this, and I said uh, a more spiritual man might say, I spent the entire summer meditating on that verse. And she said, let's both be honest, you're not that man. Say mulling over this verse. <laughs> And so, and so that's the word I'll go with. So I spent the whole summer just thinking about it, you know, turning it over, over and again in my brain, and, and, and I never talked about it, and I never taught on it. And so I'll be honest, I have no idea how long this message will go for. It could be over in 10 minutes, and we'll be out of here early. If that's the case, Danny can come back up here. He could do the entire set over again, because that was some beautiful worship, wasn't it? Yeah, it was uh, some great stuff, so we could do that again. Uh, but, but, you know, the entirety of the summer, and I was too ashamed to admit that I was spending so much time on this verse. Spending so much time trying to, trying to pull out the, the practical principles of it to learn the great truth in it. I spent 10 minutes alone trying to figure out what the word fallow meant. I mean, I'm not a farmer. I grew up my whole life in, in Upland, in San Antonio Heights, to be specific. I normally specify that and people think I'm being a snob when I say that because we're above Upland. But it's not a snobby thing. It just happens to have the word heights in it. It's a different area. And I grew up there my whole life. There's no farms up there. Not anymore. There hasn't been for like 50 years. I mean, that's, that's just the way it is. I drive through Chino, but I try and do it quickly. Because <laughs> there's an odor that lingers over that city. So I know nothing about farming. And, and I know nothing about what fallow ground is. And so after about 10 minutes, I got out of the dictionary and looked it up. And fallow ground is uncultivated ground. Fallow ground is ground that at one time uh, had been plowed. At one time it had been fruitful. But now it's untended. And it's good for nothing. It's hardened. And essentially is useless. And it was during that summer that I began to feel really dry and, and, and unproductive as a Christian. And say, I'm not the man of God that I used to be, and it deeply troubled me. 
it began to weigh heavy on my heart. And God pulled this verse out of his word and set it before me. And it was a word for me spanning that season. But I'll tell you that the greatest truth of this verse wasn't even revealed to me until uh, this past Friday. See, where our computer sits in our house, um, uh, it's at the very front of the house, and and it's right next to a window that opens up to Euclid Avenue, right? And and, and so I sat there uh, for hours on end, staring out that window, wondering what I was going to talk about here today. You know, the, the bright blank screen before me, the flashing cursor taunting me and, and, and wondering uh, what I would say because your eyes are, 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 a, are a daunting thing to consider. And, 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 and then finally it, it just, it seemed to, to come to me as I, as I looked out across the street at the old red house directly across the way. And in that house, there's a family uh, that, that came out here in the 30s from Oklahoma. There's a word for those people. Gil told me that word is derogatory. Uh, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that, so it's in the message. But <laughs> if you've read Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath, it's in that book. It tells the story of those people. They came out here during the Dust Bowl, and all their farms were wiped out, came to California to work in the fields. And this family came to Upland to work in the orange groves. It settled there in that house, uh, you know, in, in that time, and three generations have come and gone. And there was a time when that family of farmers lived in that house that was incredibly fruitful. And, and I've heard the stories of it. You know, that in their front yard, they, they had fruits and vegetables, and they had chickens and goats. And, and my grandma, every evening, uh, and, and when she lived in the house that I presently occupy, she would cross the street and go over to that house, and they would have uh, goat's milk ice cream. You know, they'd milk their goat during the day, and then they'd, you know, do whatever you do to make ice cream. I don't know, I buy it. So, you know, they, and, and they would serve it up to all the kids, goat's milk ice cream. I, that sounds really gross to me. I imagine, I imagine though, that it's probably a lot like regular ice cream, just more goaty, you know? So, but she would go over there and, and I guess in a fix, ice cream is ice cream, and, and that's how they would spend their days, you know? And, and generations have come and go, and, and that generation uh, has long since passed along with my grandma, and now I live in her house, and I'm looking across the street at this old red Oklahoma family's house. And my whole life, it's been completely fruitless. You know, just fallow ground, hard and unplowed, untended, nothing of value growing there. But that's not to say that nothing grew there at all. And that was the thing that I never saw in the text, you know, even after spending a summer on it. That that ground was full. It just wasn't full of the right stuff. You know, even in fallow ground, it's not as if you're looking out upon a wasteland occupied by absolutely nothing. It was occupied. It just wasn't occupied by good stuff, productive stuff. The right stuff. It was filled with weeds. 
And that's what Hosea is talking about here. He, he says, and, and, and that's what the Lord spoke to me about here when he spoke to me about this two summers ago. He says, you've gone dry. Your ground is hard. Your life is not fruitful. And even if good seeds were scattered upon it, nothing good would come from it. They'd bounce right off the surface of it. You fallow ground in your heart. And there's weeds occupying that space. And every Sunday, you know, we come in and out of these doors and seeds are just bouncing off of our hearts. And no fruit comes from it. Because the condition of our heart won't allow it. And you know, passages like this aren't unfamiliar for us. We're all familiar with the idea of reaping and sowing. It's all over the Old and New Testament. But while the reality of reaping and sowing is all over the the New Testament, I think the way that it's phrased leads us to this linear interpretation of what's really being expressed. And what's really being expressed becomes our first point, and it's a timeless principle. You know, we read in the Bible about reaping and sowing, and, and, and we often, uh, you know, just understand it to be uh, the existence of maybe two seeds. You know, there's this good seed, there's this righteous and pure seed. And what comes from that seed is what maybe your Bible describes as unfailing love. My Bible w- would say it's mercy. The crop that comes from that seed in the Hebrew simply means goodness and kindness. It's, it's a crop that God would look at and say that that's the right stuff. And he favors that. It's a holy, righteous crop that comes from a holy, righteous seed. And that's the good seed. And then we think about the other seed, and that's the bad seed. That's the sinful seed. And if you have a sinful, rotten life, if you're doing sinful, rotten stuff, then you're sowing a sinful, rotten seed, and your life is going to be under judgment because the crops that come forth from your life are in rebellion to God. It's a wicked crop from a sinful seed. But the reality is that that we all sow seeds. And reap crops. And sometimes it's not as simple as wickedness and righteousness. Is it? I just, I I don't, I don't believe that to be the case. You know, if, 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 if my life were a garden that accurately reflected my actions, my attitudes, and my passions, you know, I wonder what crop would reflect my, my time in my affections. You know, I, I wonder how expansive my keeping up with the Kardashians crop would be. And would I be ashamed that that crop is even in my garden? Would I want my neighbor to peer over his fence and, 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 and see that there? But the reality of it is that it is there. It's right next to my Jersey Shore tree. And both of them are rotten to the core but they're in my garden because they're reflected in my actions and in my affections and where I spend my time 
and the seeds that I've sown. I can peer over the vast expanse of my garden and see the crops that have come forth from the seeds that I've sown to comfort. You know, the, the, the time that I spend daydreaming about long naps in my hammock. It's quite a bit of time. The amount of time I spend thinking about my bank account. can look into my garden and see the crops that have come forth from the seeds that I've sown to books, music, and movies. And you think about it this way, and not one of those is a bad thing. You wouldn't say, well, that's wickedness. Oh, sin is in his garden. No, I mean, Johnny Cash occupies a very big spot in my musical garden. It's my favorite musician. And I'll tell you, that man is up in heaven right now, and I can't wait to join him. He's a good man. And he's not a bad thing. And many of our crops aren't bad things. But I wonder how much space in my life's garden is given over to them. And if God were to wander through my garden in the cool of the day as he did in Adam's day, would he have to squint his eyes to see the portion of the garden that belongs to him? that's in the great shadow of the garden that's been cultivated by Facebook and Twitter. It's the reality of the fact that we're all sowing seeds with our life, with our decisions. And that's you, and that's me. And the prophet says that it's been a long time since anything productive has grown in the garden. It hasn't been cultivated with the hard work necessary to bring forth these true treasures and fruit of Scripture. And he says that that's what you want. If it's less weeds for you, well, then there's a work that you got to do. you got to get out there. you got to break up the fallow ground. Hosea says, break it up. Get out there and do the necessary work. You know, something incredible happened six months ago, and, and, and I've wondered, you know, constantly since that day, why this event occurred. But about six months ago, I looked across the street, and the second generation of that family that came out from Oklahoma, the man that I have not seen in years since my childhood, his skin blinding white from never seeing the sun, wandered outside in his boxer shorts and decided to start tilling the ground. And I wonder what could have possibly motivated him, and why now? You know, if it just popped into his imagination one day, and he said, I'm sick of it. This problem isn't going to solve itself. These weeds aren't going to uproot themselves. And if I ever want anything in my garden besides weeds, then I have to get out there and do the work. And so he did it. And that day I saw more of him than I've seen in years and more of him than I ever want to see again. <laughs> but he began to do the work that day. And he was out there constantly since that day. Yeah, uprooting the weeds, tilling the ground, burying his spade in the hard soil and turning it over. He's out there in the heat of the sun, 
working, and tiring, but nonetheless pressing forward, doing the necessary work so that the righteous seed can bring forth fruit. And Hosea says, out your doors to do the same. You need to do it. You need to accomplish it if you want to experience the fruit of it. And here's the reality of it. No one else can do it for you. It's your garden. It's not your wife's job. It's not your husband's job. They've got their own gardens to worry about. And I would advise you here today to keep your eyes on your own garden. You know, it's easy to come to church and, and, and to cast a critical eye on everybody else's crops. And maybe you're still doing it with me. You know, maybe you're still thinking about the Kardashian crop and saying, is it really worth listening to someone that watches such a frivolous program? But I'll be speaking again next Sunday, so you have till then to make that decision. <laughs> this place will be empty. But, <laughs> but keep your eyes on your own garden. Tend to your own crops, because we're all going to be held accountable for our own gardens. You know, we can come in here and we could easily just just sit down and say, you know, and then you know, uh, he's talking about being be, being full of weeds. And then, and then, and he's talking about being cold and dry. And he's basically talking about being backslidden. I don't know why he hasn't used that word. It's the perfect word for this conversation. He should really use it. There, I just did. Enjoy it. And you're thinking, you know who should really hear this message is my son. Oh, my son should be here today. Oh, he's a lot of fallow ground, that kid. He's just completely hard. And he's weeds all over his life with his silly friends and his video games. Oh, if crops could be represented with passions, video, gra- video games would be his entire yard. But what about you? Oh, well, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, don't, no one's perfect, but, you know, I mean, let's not talk, let's not, it's my sister, she hasn't been to church in years, that girl. She's a heathen. It's easy, it's really easy to fiddle around in your neighbor's garden. It's really easy to, to, to walk up to them and point out their weeds. Because you don't have to do anything about it at that point, do you? You can walk up and say, you got some weeds there. You're a disaster. You surely clean that up. And then you can just walk away and go back to your own life and mind your own business, right? It's scary to deal with our own weeds. Because you're afraid if you find it, you might have to do something about it. And uprooting those weeds could be dirty and difficult. We need to stop. I think that many in the church could fit into the fallow ground category. And let's be honest, we all do from time to time. You know, we're not dancing through the doors every Sunday with the glory of the Lord. And, and, you know, it'd be weird if you did. (laughs) I'll be the, 
be the first one to say that. That'd be a sight to see, wouldn't it? I mean, Corinne was a Pentecostal. Maybe that happened back then. But, you know, was, you don't see that. I mean, no one's like pushing through the doors with the sound of music and, you know, and just, you know, frolicking through, skipping and throwing, you know, flowers in the air, that type of thing. You know, and, 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 and maybe it's, it's just become the weekly ritual of our existence to be here. But it's not the passion of our heart overflowing with fruit. And there are pictures in our mind of what that fruitful time looked like. And it's as if we keep them in this old, dusty museum room that hasn't had an addition in ages to add to its collection of what that looks like. So stay out of your neighbor's dusty museum room. We have enough cobwebs in our own. And stay off your neighbor's lawn. We have enough weeds to worry about in our own. It's our ground, and Hosea says it's our time. It's our time to break up our fallow ground. So the question becomes, now that we've recognized that our heart isn't as soft and fruitful as it once was, and we're driven out the doors to tend to the soil, to turn it over and to break it up, now what do we do? And it becomes our second point, a proven plan. A proven plan. Hosea makes it very simple for us. And that's why I love this verse so much. It's profound in its simplicity. It says, you want to break up the fallow ground of your heart? This is what you need to do. You need to seek the Lord. That's the necessary step that you need to take to prepare your story so that it can receive a righteous seed and bring forth fruit. But what does that mean? You know, it's, it's, it's not a word that we hear very much outside of church. What does it mean to seek? You know, no one would ever, no one says like, you know, after restaurants or after church, let's go seek out a restaurant. That'd be bizarre. People would look at you like you're a weirdo. We don't use the word very often. And maybe it's just because I'm younger. Younger has a comparative connotation. I'm not saying that you're all old. I heard a gasp. It's like, maybe because that was you? Maybe because I'm younger? <gasps> Offended. I was with you on the Kardashians, but now I'm done. Um, <laughs> maybe it's because I'm still young that, that my only reference point for the word seek is hide and seek. <laughs> and, and you snort. I don't think that it's a bad one to have. I mean, what does it mean to seek the Lord? Is it like God is playing hide-and-seek with us? Maybe if we just understood the character of God, we can make it work with the analogy. I mean, when I used to play hide-and-seek or hide-and-go-seek, I don't know which one it is. I tried to Google search that, you know, the insight into my, into my neurotic life. Is it hide-and-seek or is it hide-and-go-seek? Um, I used to always say go-seek. There you go. But hide and seek is the more common one, according to Google. I looked it up, and, 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 and then I started thinking about when I used to play it with my, with my brother. 
And if I were it, I would cover uh, my my little ohos, and he would scamper away and hide somewhere. I would count to 20. And when the count was up, I would open my eyes, and I would hunt him down. I would seek him out. Maybe it's the more biblical thing I should say. And and I'd begin to look all over the house. It was like, okay, is he behind the sofa? Is he under the bed? When we were really little, we can stuff our small persons into the into the cabinets in the kitchen. So you know, I'd open up the cabinets. It's not there. You know, keep on looking around. Is he in the dryer? He did that once. He's a clever little fellow. Uh, you know, is he in the dryer? No, he's not there. Upstairs, looking around, seeing the shower, he's not there. And all over the house, seeking out my brother. Is God playing hide and go seek when he says, seek the Lord? Let me tell you, if he is, then he's really bad at the game. He's chosen the worst possible hiding spot. It's as if you cover your eyes, you count to 20, and when you're done, he's right in front of you. You know, you you cover your eyes and and you're 18, 19, 20. Oh, silly God. You're so terrible at this game. You know, and he's right there in front of you. And, And is God really bad at hide and seek? No, it's just that he's omnipresent. That's a really bad characteristic to have if you're playing hide and seek. You know, you look under the bed, God's there. You look in the cabinets, God's there. You know, it's like God is, God is everywhere. It's impossible to hide an omnipresent God. He's everywhere so he can confidently say in Matthew 7, 7, if you seek me, you will find me. Because I'm not making myself difficult to find. I'm everywhere at all times. Our problem, and the reason why our gardens often resort to either bad crops or weedy crops, is that though God is everywhere, we turn a blind eye to him, and we spend our days seeking other things. You know, and, 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 and it would be like playing the game with my brother, right? And, and he's hiding, and I'm seeking, and I open up the cabinet door or the cupboard door, and he's hiding inside. And, and instead of shouting out in excitement and embracing him, I reach in and pull out the Chef Boyardee, you know, canned ravioli, and just close the door and leave him in the dark and pay no attention to him. And let me say that, and can we all agree that it's, it's very easy to do that with God? It's, it's a very easy habit to get into with God. You know, with a God that is everywhere at all times. Just to open the door, every door, at any moment in all of our existence and to ignore him and just go about our business. You know, to just reach in there, pull out the canned ravioli and ignore him as if he weren't there desiring to meet with us, wanting nothing more than to embrace us and touch our lives and move in our midst. 
He says, if you seek me, listen, you're going to find me. And that's all you need to do to turn over that hard soil of your life. And when you do that, I promise you, I will do something in response. And it's our third point, an eternal promise. Third point, an eternal promise. If you go out there, if you seek me because you've opened up your eyes and discovered the sad state of your soil, that it's hard and cold, and that you're distant, he says, I'm not going to judge you. That's a wonderful thing to consider by itself. He says, if you go out there, right, and, and, and you see nothing but weeds, I'm not going to condemn you. But he doesn't just say that. He says, listen, if you come to me honestly and seek me, I will rain down upon you. And that old, dead ground that's been fruitless for ages will have new life in it again. And he'll bring forth fruit. You know, the first thing that that family decided to grow in their yard across the street was pumpkins. And um, and I'll be honest, they were not the best pumpkins that I've ever seen in my entire life. A lot of them were, were small and deformed looking. But those pumpkins brought the entire family together. You know, before long, it wasn't one man out there in his boxer shorts tending the soil. It was an entire family out there working together. And when Halloween came along, they were all out there taking pictures with those pumpkins, holding them up together just with, with pride and joy. The first crops in 50 years. And, and I'll end with this. You know, tending the soil to break up that fallow ground is work. Right, And sometimes it could be hard work. Stay up late, wake up early, and seek the Lord. And he will reveal himself to you. He's always right there before you. But it's also infectious work. And other people begin to see it, and they begin to see the fruit that comes forth from the life of the person with prepared soil, cultivated soil. Soil that brings forth fruit. And they want it to. And it brings people out of the house into the garden to have the same for their own life. And I'll tell you, it's work. And it's infectious work, but it's also joyous work. Oh, the joy that is in the fruitful life spent bearing Good, good fruit for the Lord. I'll tell you, it was, uh, it was a long summer, the summer that I spent mulling over this, this verse. But it was a glorious summer. It was a breaking summer as the Lord broke up that fallow ground. 
it became a fruitful summer. And, you know, maybe some of you uh, are thinking what I began to, to think last night, that this would be a good way to start my new year, to do a bit of gardening, to seek the Lord, and to let him rain down upon me, to bring about a new life in me, a whole new crop of fruit in me, new additions to add to my dusty old museum room to see what God would do in and through. You know, and, and he warns us. The prophet speaks to us and he tells us, he says, today is the day. Hey, if today you're peering out that window and you're seeing crops overgrown, thorny weeds, and you're saying that is the product of fallow ground and I'm sick of it. I'm not going to wait any longer for somebody else to do it. I'm going to go out there. And I don't care if I'm in my boxer shorts. The work needs to begin immediately. Oh, you go out into the garden and you see what God would do as you break up the fallow ground and as he rains down upon you, leaving you dripping and drenched in his spirit, overflowing with fruit and overwhelmed by grace and love. Your latter days will be greater than the former. Let's go ahead and close with a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for my family here, Lord, my brothers and sisters. And I pray, Lord, for the bit of gardening that we've all got to do. I'm sure there's not a soul in here that would be so proud to say that their garden is meticulously kept without spot or blemish, there's not a weed to be seen. Lord, let us see with your eyes. Let us get out there to seek you. Find that you'll be found everywhere. And Lord, as we seek you and let you do your work, I pray that you would pour down upon us. Lord, that you'd bring about a personal revival in us. Draw us closer to you to come to the day that we do dance through the doors and it's more than a ritual. I come to a day overflowing with fruit and an abundance that the crowd around us finds infectious and that we would find joyous. Lord, I love you and I praise you. And I trust these things into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.